We read the scriptures as to not forget where we've come from and where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Take a moment to speak it out loud with me over your life, your family, and our world. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, good morning. We're so glad you are with us today at Faith Church. If maybe you're just joining us first time here, welcome. My name's Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's an honor to get to open up scriptures and share a little bit with you as we kick off a very uh, brand new collection of sermons that we're calling Practice of Worship. If you have a copy of scripture, I want you to join me in Mark 12. Mark chapter 12 is uh, where we'll be reading here uh, together. Mark 12, starting in verse 29. And while you're getting there, let me just say, Connect groups have begun, and so um, if you're wanting to take another step and maybe get to know some people, um, connect groups is a great spot and way to do it. We've got multiple groups available that meet at different times and different locations and doing some different things, and so I want to encourage you to try some out. Try one. If it fits, great. If it doesn't fit, try a different one. Uh, We want you to, to get engaged and get connected in relationships. Mark 12. Starting verse 29, this is what the word says. The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Somebody say heart. Love the Lord with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. None greater. Uh, This year, as a church, our theme that we're kind of exploring, looking at it, asking the Lord to speak to us about is, is around this theme, practice. Somebody say practice. Practice, and our key verse that we're really looking at and allowing the Lord to speak to us in is, is kind of this verse in Mark 12, 29 through 21. We, we just wrapped up a collection of sermons called Practice Prayer, where we're, this year we want to explore the, the various spiritual practices that should accompany the life of a disciple of Jesus. These spiritual practices ought to be keystone habits, if you will, of our lives if we are truly going to live out a faith that we profess. If you claim to be a Christ follower, these are the keystone practices of our faith. We just talked about prayer, and it it says love the Lord with all your soul. I really do believe when you think about the soul of a person, it's this Ability to talk with the Lord that does something. It is good for your soul to pray and talk with the Lord. And we're going to look at kind of each of these that this scripture kind of unpacks this year. And today I want to start a collection called Practice of Worship. As we begin to explore what it looks like to be someone who practices a faith, a life of worship, 
Because I believe worship is what makes our heart fully alive with passion. If we're going to love the Lord with all our heart, that means that there will be some expressions that naturally occur outwardly of said love. Of our passion, of our heart, of our desire for God. I believe that a heart fully alive by God is a heart that can live with passion. Worship, just kind of a working definition of terms here for a minute. Worship is the act of expressing through song and actions the affection within your heart. The act of singing and expressing from your heart to the Lord. It's, it's this idea of ascribing value and honor and worth to God who is worthy of all that you can give him and more. It is this idea that we align our full attention towards God. That is worship. We are a worshiping body, a worshiping congregation. And today I want to kind of bring a sermon around this kind of idea, this thesis statement, if you will. And it's simply this, that the practice of worship shapes a congregation. I want to explore this in Scripture, this idea that, that the practice of our worship shapes a congregation, a, a people of God, a, a, a gathered assembly of people under the name and banner of Jesus. The Bible uses this idea of church, talks about church as a body, talks about church as a family. It's this uh, Greek word ekklesia, which just means called out and gathered ones. I do believe that the church is not just a building, although we gather in a building. The church is not just an individual person. It's not you individually that is the church. It is you a part of the collective we that gathers together, that is the church. That is what we do, and our worship to God shapes us. And this is why it's so important, friends, that here at Faith Church, we are a worshiping congregation. I'll give you another chance to digest it and then add your affirmative amen to it. But we at Faith Church are a worshiping congregation. This is who we are. This is what God asks of us. It is our reasonable demonstration of worship that we're talking about. I want you to think about this. Without worship in our gatherings, what actually separates us from any other social gathering? Without the act of worship, what actually distinguishes this gathering as so essential? beyond other social gatherings. I mean, you could go to a, um, a chamber of commerce meeting and people interact and drink coffee and develop friendships and work together for some things. You hear lots of announcements and somebody shares something on topic. What, what is the difference between that and our church if we are not a worshiping body? What... What, what makes us any different, what actually makes us the called out ones of God, if we gather, if we assemble, we hear something funny, and then we go about our ways, how is that any different than attending a comedy show? 
If we show up, it'll be like, I like this music. It's kind of cool. I'll bob my head a little bit. But we never actually participate and engage. How is that any different than a concert that you pay a lot more money to attend? (laughs) Philip Yancey said it like this. He said, church exists primarily not to provide entertainment or to build self-esteem or to facilitate friendship, but to worship God. If the church fails in that, it fails. I have learned that the ultimate goal really is getting worshipers in touch with God. All through the story of the Bible and all through the history of the church, there is a gathering of people for the purpose of scripture reading, for the purpose of prayer, for the purpose of singing together, for the purpose of doing something sacrificial that costs you something, for the purpose of gathering together and bringing a financial contribution to the collective we. These are the elements and the components throughout all of history that constitute a service, a gathering of the people of God. These are the activities that distinguish the gathering of God's people from any other political rally, social justice movement. This is the, these are the distinguishing characteristics. And so today I want to I talk about how our worship collectively, corporately, as a congregation, our practice of worship, it shapes something in us and it forms a bit of our identity. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to, to write this down and of course, if you're not taking notes, um, go ahead and write this down anyways. Uh, here, here, I want you to hear this statement. Worship is not exclusively personal. It is expressively corporate, though. Worship is not exclusively personal. But it is expressively corporate. The phrase autonomous Christian is an oxymoron. Uh, We live in a world where we glorify the idea of individualism. Where we sit around and we talk about my personal faith, my, my personal view, in my personal opinion. This is my truth. We live in a world that even in the church sometimes, we talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. And while there is a personal participation, it is not supposed to be lived in isolation. It is a collective we of our faith that God is after. Your faith And your worship, your devotion, and your affection for God are not meant to be private or done only in isolation. We have a private participation that we do, a personal participation. But worship is not explicitly private, but rather it is supposed to be expressively corporate. Look at Mark 12, 29. What what does it say? It says, hear, O Israel. Now, was Israel somebody's name in Scripture? Yes. Was it also later a people group, a tribe, a collective group? Yes. What's the Scripture referring to? Israel the collective, not Israel the individual. 
So you don't get to read this. Hear, O Jim. Hear, O Jarrett. Hear, O Sandy. No, no. Hear, O Faith Church. The Lord, my God? The Lord, this one God. The Lord, your God. That's not what the scripture says. The Lord, our God. Our Lord, our, our Savior, whom we worship. It's, it's about the we, not just the me. I wasn't planning to be that cliche, but it just seemed to flow, and so go with it, y'all. Look at Psalm 63, verse 2. It says, I have seen you. I have seen you in the bedroom. I have seen you in my car by myself. I have seen you contemplatively, reservedly, as I silently contemplate. I have seen you in the sanctuary. And I beheld your power and your glory. When was the last time you beheld the power and the glory of God personally? When was the last time you experienced the power and glory of God collectively? There was something for the writer of this psalm where he said, uh, there is something that is happening in the midst where the power and the glory of God begin to be seen and noticed visibly, tangibly. Something is experientially obvious to us all, and it happens in the sanctuary. I don't think it's by accident that we call this main room the sanctuary. It's the church's sanctuary. We're talking about the, how worship is not just exclusively personal, but it's expressively corporate. See, in our worship time together, God shifts his omnipresence, which is his general understood presence everywhere all the time, where he shifts his omnipresence to a manifest presence. It shifts from this understanding that God is near to knowing experientially in a moment, in an encounter, that there is no doubt that God is in this place. That's what's supposed to happen in our gatherings. That's what the goal, that's, that's part of the byproduct of our, of our corporate worship. It's like this. Uh, I can be in my house while my children are also in the same house. I'm generally present with them. But there is a difference when they call my name, I respond, and we then come face to face in the same place, knowing without a doubt that dad is in the room with me. That's the difference between the omnipresent and the manifest presence of God. Where you personally and we collectively become face to face with God Almighty where his presence is in the room. This is what we want to become. This is how worship, the practice of worship, can shape a congregation. Because there's an encounter, there's a, a visitation of the Spirit of God. There's, there's a move that happens in our midst that's undeniable. It's, it's not necessarily seen always with our eyes, but there is something Whereas Paul, where Paul talks about Moses, where we all with unveiled faces can begin to see the glory of God. 
I got to save that. It's for a later message in this collection. We'll unpack that more later. How, how does this work? What does the practice of worship have to do with us corporately? How does it actually shape us? I mean, that sounds kind of nice and poetic, but can you give me some more concrete, like how that looks, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked. And I'm so glad you're ready to take some notes. Let's jump in. Number one, here's how I think it shapes us. I think the practice of worship shapes us as we sing our family story. As we sing our family story. Every family has a name. Every family has an identity. And every family has a story. We are the hunts of Fort Scott, but we did not originate in Fort Scott. We have a story. We have a story of our journey of how we got to Fort Scott. We have a story, and when we tell our story to our kids and to other friends, there is, a, there is an understanding, there is an intimacy, there is a connectedness that occurs. There is an expectation that God did it once and he'll do it again. There's this shared collective sense of our story. In Exodus chapter 15, you see this really, really amazing thing happen. In Exodus 15, the children of Israel had been slaves for, for over 400 years to Egypt, taskmaster, rulers, dictators, and God, God sent Moses, and he led the people free, and it was like, let my people go. No, I will not. Yes, I will. No, I will not. Like, it was this whole, like, back and forth exchange of things, and God sent plagues to reveal his power and to totally contradict the gods of Egypt at the time to prove that he was really God in their lives. And finally, Pharaoh was like, get out of here. We don't want to see you anymore. Leave. And so they all leave. And as they're leaving, the, the, they change their mind. Oh, no. Who's going to build our stuff if we don't have slaves? Go back and get them. Bring them back. But the children of Israel are already on the move. And God does something miraculous and amazing. He parts the Red Sea. They walk through on dry land. The, the, the chariots of the Egyptians come chasing after them. And all of a sudden, God like, whoops, slopes back up the water. No more. And they all drowned. And God's people are saved and victorious. And they experience a great deliverance from God's hand. And you know what their response was? Miriam writes a song that they all sing together. They dance, they celebrate, and they sing a song that tells the story. And they still sing some of that same song today because songs tell the story of the family of God. The songs that we sing tell of the God that we worship. The songs that we sing tell of how God has set us free. So sometimes it's from our perspective. Sometimes it's from heaven's perspective. Sometimes it's just this theology and understanding of who God is. And we sing about our God so that we together can share the story of the family. And so the practice of worship shapes us as a family because we have a shared story about a Savior. This is the power of worship collectively. And these songs that they sang in Exodus 15, it was essentially this, oh my gosh, look what God did. Look what God has done. Look at how Paul writes to the church in Colossians 3, verse 16. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. How? With all wisdoms through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. What's he saying? Tell the, tell the story of your family. Tell the story of how good your God is. Tell the story of what God has done as it shapes you as a collective because of 
the mighty hand of God in your lives. These are songs about God to God and how God has impacted us. We tell our story as a family through song. And it's, it's through the, 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 the communal singing to one another, with one another, that it builds our faith. It builds our faith. Ephesians 5, Paul writes again in verse 19 and 20, he says, Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make a melody music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to see something. In this particular context, Paul is helping us understand that worship isn't about just you and God. Worship actually impacts the people around you. Your worship plays a part in the formation of the person across the room from you. He didn't say, sing to the Lord these songs. Who did he say you're singing to? He said, you're actually singing to the people around you. You know what I've heard? If I've heard it once, I've heard it almost 100 times in the last year. Pastor, online church just isn't the same. And there's lots of reasons for it. By and large, though, when you press them to, like, what do you mean by online isn't the same? They're like, well, the message is good, and I can take notes, and I really appreciate it, which is really cool, which means I'm replaceable. It's fine. It's fine. It's good. No big deal. I mean, the message is fine. But I don't know. There's just something missing. And you know what's missing? You know what's hard to duplicate on your couch in your PJs? The faith that is built up in you because someone next to you is singing the same story you're singing. See, we don't just worship to warm up before I get up here. We are shaping our family's story as a congregation that worships because it's in my expression of worship and praise that someone else will hear these words too. And maybe, just maybe, faith will come alive in them in this moment too. What you're missing is the collective people of God coming as a congregation to worship and sing. Now, I do think that while you're at home and you're sitting there, you can show up like you would show up here. Don't mail it in. Get dressed. Have breakfast. Get your coffee in you. Show up with your Bible, something to take notes. Take advantage of the kids' online experience and put your kids in another room and allow them to worship somewhere else so you can show up. And recognize I'm adding my voice online to the chorus of the body of Christ who is collectively perhaps in person. But I'm adding my faith and I'm singing my song because the practice of worship shapes our family story. So whether you're in the room or you're online, we can all be faith church together. But you get to show up just like we're showing up. It's the practice of worship that shapes our family story. Number two, the practice of worship shapes us as we sacrifice. I know it's going to hurt, but can you just say that word out loud? Say sacrifice. sacrifice. Yeah, it's not our favorite word. Not a sexy word, not a glamorous word, not a word that we really like think about. It's definitely a biblical word. Definitely something that has great biblical meaning. But it's not something that we use in our everyday life necessarily. But the practice of our worship shapes how we sacrifice. Shapes what we sacrifice. It really shapes the fact that we do sacrifice. Look, look at Romans 12, verse 1. Paul writes, and he says, Therefore, I want to just suggest to you, 
Some of you are like, I don't know. Is that what it says? I'm not really paying attention. I'm not online. I'm not taking notes. I haven't opened my Bible to Romans 12, 1 in a really long time. Let me tell you what it says. It says, therefore, I urge you. Not like I gently recommend. I might humbly suggest if, if it fits into your schedule or if it's your personality, might I offer an opinion? I urge you. Like your life depends on it, brothers and sisters, in view of God's amazing mercy. What should you keep in mind? God's amazing mercy. In view of God's mercy that you would offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. Oh, that's, that's, that's where I'm out, Pastor. I'm not holy, nor am I pleasing to God. It's Christ who makes you holy. It's his blood that redeems you. It's Christ in you that allows you to stand before Christ himself. It's the God in you that allows you and draws you to pursue God around you. It's, it's the Holy Spirit at work in you. It's, it's holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper way to worship. Sacrificing with your physical body to the Lord in view of his mercy is the proper way to worship, he says. It's the right way to do it. It's not your opinion on how you should do it. It's not this charismatic sounding pastor in skinny jeans and Chelsea boots that look like girl boots. Don't be judging my boots. It's not just his way of worshiping. No, no. Scripture says this is the prop. Everybody's like checking out his shoes. Like, where did he get those? Do those come in girl sizes? I don't know. I shop in the men's section on Amazon. Deal with it. This is your proper way to worship. Friends, I realize it is a sacrifice to gather corporately for some of us. I realize it is a sacrifice to really quiet everything and tune online. And sometimes you have like internet troubles. I get that. And I do believe that when we make a decision to jump over the inconveniences, even though we call those sacrifices, they're really hashtag first world problems. Something of our selfishness has to shift aside. Friends, I think it's time that we stop calling our first world inconveniences the level of sacrifice. I mean, did it really cost you that much to drive seven miles outside of Fort Scott to show up on time-ish? <laughs> I mean, did, did, it, did it really sacrifice? I mean, was it really that? Pastor, you don't know my kids. I get it. Pastor, you don't know my wife. Like, it's a sacrifice to get anywhere, anytime. Like, it may have killed something in your pride, but I think that's a little bit good. Isn't that the point? I think, I think it's time that we start learning to sacrifice our pride. We sacrifice our personal perspectives and preferences. We're willing to give up our seat for someone else to sit a little closer and get them close by. We're willing to sacrifice our time and our treasure that we think is ours, but it really is God's. But that's another sermon for another day. Like it's time that we show up like they did all through scripture, bringing scripture readings and sacrifices and things that are pleasing and honorable to the Lord. What is it today in our corporate time of worship that actually costs you something? We don't show up just to spectate, friends. We show up to sacrifice and praise. It's the true, proper way to worship. Psalms 116 says, I will offer you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. 
and we'll call upon the name of the Lord. It costs you something to give God thanks when you don't feel like there's anything to say thanks for. Psalms 27, 6, and I will now, my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. In other words, life sucks right now, but I'm going to worship God anyways. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. It's the fruit of your lips giving him thanks. But I don't sing good. Welcome to sacrifice 101 of worship. Welcome to the starting line of what it looks like to see how the practice of worship shapes our sacrifice and shapes what it looks like to sacrifice. It's the starting block for some of us. We all have something that we can offer God. I, in, in Leviticus, how am I doing my time? I got to hurry. There's something amazing that, that Scripture records in Leviticus chapter 9. All of God's people, they were in the wilderness walking through the journey, and, and they come together, and they were all, God instructed them all to bring a sacrifice. And something amazing happened in their midst because of a corporate decision to make a sacrifice. Look at Leviticus 9, starting at verse 1. It says, Then say to the Israelites, Take a male goat for a sin offering, a calf and a lamb, both a year old without defect, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a fellowship offering to sacrifice before the Lord together with a grain. Offer mixed with olive oil. For today, the Lord will appear to you. Today, the Lord wants to show himself to you. God showing himself had to be preceded by their sacrifice in worship. Don't miss this next part. Jump to the end of the chapter. It talks about all the sacrifices they did and how they did it and in and out and really kind of boring. But here's, here's the gist. Here's, fast forward to the end of the story with me. Then Moses and Aaron then went into the tent of meeting. When they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. The people in the front row, people in the back row. The people who were only halfway there and the people who were all the way there. All the people. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. Then then all the people saw it. What did they see? The, the fire. They saw the fire. I don't know about you, but when I see fire, I know I'm seeing fire. They all saw it. They shouted for joy, and they fell face down. The language there wasn't they like silently bowed. Face planted, blacked out. Pentecostal days, we'd call that being slain in the spirit, but most of the time we only called it that when somebody pushed you over, blew on you, or threw their coat at you. Am I okay, Clayton? Okay, thanks. <laughs> Fell down because the glory of the Lord appeared because they sacrificed something together. Everyone brought a sacrifice. Everyone showed up not to spectate, but to sacrifice. 
Friends, I, I wish I had time to tell you the stories of my life where I have been in a moment collectively with the body of Christ where everyone was worshiping, everyone was, was participating, and the presence of the Lord showed up in such a strong way I could no longer stand. I had to get down. Nobody touched me. Nobody laid hands on me. Nothing happened. It was the presence of the Lord in a room, and it was a holy, awestruck moment that forever changed who I am. Friends, I'm not talking about conjuring up some excitement and everybody take a lap around the room. I'm not talking about none of that. Holy awe. Don't miss the simplicity of this, nor the power behind this statement. The larger the sacrifice, the bigger the fire. Don't miss it. The larger the sacrifice, the greater result of fire that is there. The Bible says in Hebrews show that God is a consuming fire. There is something that happens when you, a little brick out of, of charcoal, and me, a little brick out of charcoal, and all the people in your row, a little brick out of charcoal, bring our little bit of offering and are flamed by the presence of the Spirit of God in the room. And we begin to offer a praise and a sacrifice to God. There's a heating up that occurs in our midst there is something that the Lord starts to cook among us because you're connected to me. I'm not a briquette in isolation all by myself. I can create a little bit of warmth in that way. But what happens when a people of God, radically changed by the Savior himself, show up to offer a corporate sacrifice of worship to a God? All of these charcoal bricks get piled in the pot. The Spirit starts to move and the wind and the air of God begins to stir a people of God and something consumes us. And we actually walk away purer than we walked in because the fire does something in us. You want to see change in your world and in our society? It's going to happen because the people of God stop spectating and we show up and sacrifice something to our God. Love the Lord with all your Am I a little passionate? Yeah. Is it because of my personality? No, not really. I just remember what it was like to behold the glory and the power of God in the midst of the people of God. And I'm committed to leading a church that is charging toward the presence of God. We are going to be shaped in how we worship, no doubt. My question is, are we being shaped into the image of God or are we being shaped into the image of a consumptive culture to where Christianity just becomes another thing that we attach as an adjective into a world where we're living all for ourselves? Here's the final thought as we come to the Lord's table today. I really believe that the practice of worship as a congregation shapes a body that looks like Jesus. If we're going to represent Jesus in our world, there is something that gets shaped within us that only is shaped because the presence of God shows up and he shapes it. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider in our gathering together 
how we could maybe spur one another towards love and good deeds. You know what love and good deeds looks like? It looks like living like Jesus. That's what it looks like. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It's like the writer of Hebrews had like a peak into 2020 and 2021 in our world where there are so many other things we could do on a Sunday. And it's a sacrifice to tell your kids, no, we're not doing that. We're not joining that team. It's gonna take us away from our worship. No, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna take that job. It's causing me to, to miss out on family worship. No, no, we're not. She's not gonna do it. I'm not talking about just being in a building. I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about what does it look like to be individual members scattered abroad and all of a sudden, it's in this moment of gathering in the sanctuary that all of the individual parts of Christ's body become remembered together as one body. It's in our practice of worship that shapes a congregation to look like Jesus. I believe it is time. Please hear me with the heart that I'm saying this not with any ounce of legalism or condemnation or like assuming I know your circumstance because I, I don't. And this isn't a, a statement that is trying to jab at the people who um, for very real health reasons are not in a building but they're watching online and they're faithful and they're there and I know you're out there. I see you and I pray for you often. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our heart for a minute. But I believe it is time for a renewed commitment to gather as the saints, the family. And it is to then demonstrate when we do it, we are demonstrating the same commitment Jesus has for his church. In other words, when you say come hell or high water, I'm showing up to worship with the people of God, the body of Christ. I am showing a fidelity and a faithfulness to Jesus that he first showed towards me. I love how John Tyson, the author of a book called Beautiful Resistance, he says this, he says, people give their lives away when they fall in love. They surrender their schedules, their finances, even their bodies for the chance to be with the other. Hardened cynics become helpless romantics when they fall in love. Yet many fail to see Jesus' commitment to the church in this same light. Though flawed and broken, the church is the one that Jesus loves. Friends, the church isn't perfect. Oh man, this church, not even close to perfect. We, we have all sorts of idols in the American church that are grieving the heart of God. We have so many priorities that are so jacked up. We have a tendency to put adjectives in front of the word Christian that Jesus said ought not be there. I'm a progressive Christian, I'm a liberal Christian, I'm a conservative Christian, I'm an American Christian, I'm a blank Christian. Any adjective before the word Christian, it's wrong. And not how we should identify ourselves. We are a church 
and a people committed to the way of Jesus. I'm a Jesus follower. Full stop. No cap. And when we're not faithful, we serve a God who is incredibly faithful. The author goes on to say, and we have loved money and power and praise of people, yet Jesus still extends his heart and grace towards us. Christ seeks us out and welcomes us home. He washes away our sin and showers us with love. The church can be beautiful because grace is beautiful. The church can renew her calling because God loves her with an undying love. Because Christ loves you with an undying love. He loves me with an undying love. He loves us. You at home, he loves you with an undying love. From, it's from that understanding that this week, I want to encourage you with this one practice prompt. How do we put this set of truths and teachings into practice? Just this week, make one decision in one specific way to engage more in our gatherings. What's one way you can engage more? Maybe it's frequency. Maybe it's singing instead of just standing there. Maybe it's taking notes. Maybe it's inviting someone else to attend. Maybe it's starting to serve. Maybe it's lifting your hands higher than you've ever lifted them before. Maybe it's, maybe it's repenting of some things. What, what's one way you can engage more? And let's practice that this week. Not to be perfect, but to further pursue a faith that's after Jesus. As we come to the table of the Lord, and you have the bread in your hand and the juice in your hand, and at home, just grab anything. If you don't have bread or juice, just grab something. I'm going to invite you as we come to the table, we come to the table and we, we, we remember ourselves to the body of Christ in this moment. We re-engage and connect as the family of God. I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes just for a minute. We're going to linger here for maybe, maybe 15, 20 seconds. In fact, why don't, you, why don't you stand with me? Can we do that? Can we stand? Let's shift a posture for a minute. Let's honor God in his presence just by standing, if, if you're able. I want you to bow your heads, and, and I want us to come and linger here at the table just for a minute. Go ahead and close your eyes. Take a couple deep breaths. Let go of the other distractions and the things and the hustle and all the stuff that could be coming here in a minute. But as we get ready to partake of the life of Jesus, his body represented by the bread and his blood represented by the juice, we partake so that we can embody and participate in being like him being filled with him and carrying him into our world. So let's pause and ask the Holy Spirit this one question. What are you saying to me? How can I put this into practice this week? Go ahead, just whisper that prayer before the Lord. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? How can I put it into practice?
before Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is blessed. And as I break it, do this. When you eat this bread, remember my body that was broken for you. Remember me. Let's remember the Lord together with his body. Then he took a cup and he said, this is my blood, which is poured out for you to start a brand new covenant. Every time you drink it, remember me. Let's remember. Now, Father, I pray, as we've come and we gathered and we worship, Lord, today, would you continue to allow us to be expressively corporate in our worship? Would you allow us to shape our family story as we sing songs that encourage each other? Lord, would you shape us through the practice of worship as we sacrifice together and behold you in a new way. And Lord, would you help us in our practice of worship to be a people that represents Jesus. Now, Lord, I pray a blessing over my brothers and sisters today. Would you bless us and keep us? Would you make your face shine on us and be gracious to us? Would you lift your countenance towards us and give us your peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link and when you do that you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them hey if faith church has made an impact in your life if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith would you consider partnering with us financially when you do that it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real jesus you can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.